today on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. If salvation belongs to God, then prayer, asking God to do what only God can do, should be our greatest resource. Now here, Jonah's not an example for us. Jonah wasn't praying for the Ninevites' salvation. In fact, he was praying against it. So here's a question, ready for this? If God answered right now in one fell swoop, every prayer you prayed last week, would anybody new be in the kingdom? Welcome back to Summit Life, the Bible teaching ministry of Pastor J.D. Greer. As always, I'm your host, Molly Vitovich, and we are glad that you're back with us to start the week. Since the internet boom of the 90s, top tech companies across the country have employed a buzzworthy business model of schmoozing clients and entertaining audiences to promote their goods, services, and company brands across the globe. Called the art of evangelism, this method of pushing products and services has revitalized the tech industry. But today, as Pastor J.D. continues our study in the book of Jonah, he reminds us that biblical evangelism isn't about schmoozing or entertaining. In fact, there's really no art to it at all. It's simply about sharing God's free gift of salvation to those in need. Remember, you can always catch up with our past teaching by visiting us at jdgreer.com. But right now, go ahead and grab your Bible. We are in Jonah chapter 3. Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out as he went, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth, and from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth. Verse seven, and he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them, he says, call out mightily to God and let everyone, says the king, turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. All right, there's a lot of different directions we could take this passage, but I want to use this passage to reflect a little bit on the nature of how God uses you to work in people's lives. God using you to bring people to himself is what we call evangelism. Becoming an effective evangelist comes from believing two things, two very simple things, both of which you're going to see in this story. All right, here's number one. Number one, or letter A, salvation belongs to the Lord. It comes from believing that salvation belongs to the Lord, Jonah 2.9. It's like I showed you in this text, Jonah's sermon was not even that impressive. Five words long. His heart wasn't even in it. But God used it. Why? Because God is the one who works salvation. John 6, 44, nobody comes to, the, to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That means that people can't come unless God draws them. And if God's drawing them, they'll come. Now, that might make your mind hurt, but it should also make you relax because that means the weight is off of your shoulders. It's not on you to convince them. God does the drawing and the convincing and the persuading. You can give the finest presentation of the gospel ever 
And if God is not working in their hearts, then what you said won't have the slightest effect. At the same time, you can give the lousiest presentation of the gospel. And if God is working in their hearts, like Jonah gave the lousiest presentation of the gospel ever, God will use it because salvation belongs to whom? To God. Salvation belongs to God. Number two, or letter B. Faith comes only by hearing. Faith comes only by hearing. That's Romans 10, 17. Now, that's not obviously in Jonah, but, but you see it there in Jonah 3. God's instrument of life is his word. The word of God is not just information that God wants us to know. It's not commands. The word of God has a power in it. The word of God is a power. So here is the important part for you. The word of God cannot do its work where people haven't heard it, which means that our objective is to get the word of God into people's lives, to get them in the presence of it, because then... And only then can God do his work. You see, God is at work all around you, like he was in Nineveh. But there's a part that only you can do. You study the book of Acts. The only beings who preach the gospel in Acts are humans. If you've never seen this, this is big point trying to be made. I'll give you some examples. Acts chapter eight, there's a guy that they call the Ethiopian eunuch who's reading the scroll of Isaiah. And he comes to the part in Isaiah 53 about you know, Jesus dying for sins. And he's like, I don't know what this means. Okay, so what God does is rather than like appearing as an angel to him and explaining to him what that means, he gets Philip from over in Samaria and he teleports him, teleports him out into the desert so that Philip can, ex- I mean, Philip's like, well, what am I doing here? He's like, just hang on, just, just wait. He's like, oh, I know why I'm here. And he shares the word of God to him. Now, why would God, it, a God who can do anything, why would he even just like save Philip the trouble, let him stay there in Samaria, if he's gonna go do all the magic stuff, why not just do it himself? Only a human being can do it. Acts chapter nine, Paul, Saul at this point, Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, what are you doing? It's hard for you to kick against the, the pride of the Holy Spirit and Saul's like, oh, I'm sorry, you know. So what does Jesus tell him to do? He says, go talk to Ananias and Ananias shares the gospel with him. The point that's being made dramatically is that the word of God has to be spoken through the lips of a human. But God is all around you doing the rest. See, if you would just open your eyes to those two facts, that salvation belongs to God and that faith only comes by hearing and hearing only by you, it would have the most profound effect on you. Believing those two things makes you into a bold, confident, and effective person who shares the word of Christ with others. I've seen so many illustrations of this through my life. Um, years ago, I had a part-time job as a, I worked in, in yard maintenance. And I worked with a group of guys that were just very, very rough, you know, just, and they curse like, I mean, like nobody's business. I got, I mean, I learned some new, this, they could creatively cuss. I'd never realized it was an art. You know, these guys, it was like, man, I need to write that down. That's totally foul, but that was, that was great. Right, so they would cuss all the time. This one guy who was the, the leader of it, I, I never even learned his real name. We called him Ivan because um, he looked like a big, I don't know where his ethnicity was from, but he looked like a big Russian guy. He's huge guy, and he just cursed. I mean, he could not speak a sentence without, you know, dropping all these foul words in it. And one day he got on a kick saying, like, the queen mother of all curse words, you know what I'm talking about? G, D, that one. And he just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, it's stuff coming out of his mouth about God. And I was provoked. And I was like, I was sitting there and I was just, I mean, I was boiling the way that just the disrespect he was showing toward God. And finally, I felt like the Holy Spirit rage into my chest. And I turned to him and I was like, I was like, Ivan, you need to shut your mouth. 
was like, I put up with all this other stuff and that didn't really bother me, honestly, all that much, but here you are blaspheming God and one day you're gonna stand before God and one day you're gonna look in his face and you do not wanna stand before him having treated him with the disrespect and having taken his name in vain the way that you do so casually. Then the Holy Spirit completely left me right at that moment, just all by myself. I'm out, you know, and I turned and I started to walk away and he, I heard these big feet running. He comes and he says, what did you say to me? And I, I repeated the gist, but in much gentler tones of what I had shared with him. And, and he, says, he says, you know, he said, I've known that something is not right between me and God, but I just don't, I don't know. And, and I'm condensing a long conversation. He says, I, I haven't really known who to ask or where to start. And this led to this conversation that took place over several days where I kept talking to him about this. And I remember being in the midst of this thing and he revealed to me that, that he had just been diagnosed with melanoma, skin cancer. He didn't know he was causing all this chaos in his life and he and his girlfriend that he lived with were starting to ask these questions. And, and I remember sharing with him one afternoon, just talking to him and there was this, not far from where we were, this huge accident where um, I don't think anybody ended up dying in it, but it was bad. And, and, and it, this, this truck had flipped over on its side and there was a kid trapped um, on the end. And so we're all, there's two or three guys trying to lift the truck up. I mean, he goes tearing across this field. He comes out of this truck and he hits it like just knocks that truck up on its, its side. Just, he was a beast. And he, he just, it was this, this, this moment where, where he just, it was, you know, after seeing this kid and it looked like he was dead and he was just like, he, he, he was just overwhelmed with emotion. And he, we're standing there. We have to wait for the police to come since we were witnesses of the accident. He's like, <laughs> he looks at me. He's like, he was like six, six, six or something. He said, he's like, hey, you think God's trying to speak to me? I was like, no, man, I think God's screaming at you. <laughs> I think it's probably time for you to listen. It was very shortly thereafter that he, his girlfriend, trusted Christ. God is all at work around you. But see, there's a part that only you can do. It's speaking the word of God in that moment. God is, salvation belongs to him. It's the part that he's given to you that only you can do. Does that make sense? I, I got more times than I can tell you where I, I was doing something, sharing Christ, and I ended up like, it ended up being for the purpose, not the person I was talking to, but somebody that was listening in. Now, I was on a bus trip one time, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I was talking to this person next to me, and the conversation turns to the gospel. It was like an hour and a half trip, and man, I just was like, I was just going after this person, like, you know, because they kept arguing, and it was so cynical, and I was just explaining to them, and, and this, this person's heart was so hard, and they kept asking me snide comments and all these attacking things. At the end of like an hour and a half, the bus stopped, we are both getting ready to get off. I'm thinking like, you know, um, total failure, uh, I stand up and the girl behind us stands up. She's got big tears in her eyes and she says, that was awesome. <laughs> I call that ricochet evangelism where <laughs> God's word bounces off one hard heart and like goes into a, another one this morning. I, I don't know how it all works. I just know that there is a role that God has given to you, see. And if you understand that, it should lead you to do two things constantly, all right? Number one, to get the word of God into people's hands. Now, what, 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 what do I mean by that? I, am I talking about the whole, remember that first week I talked about tracks, you know, where you like leave random gospel pamphlets in restrooms and with the, you know, to, to waitresses. You're like, hey, here's a tip, try Jesus. And it's a fake $10 bit. No, I'm not talking about that. I, I'm talking about the word of God in the context of a relationship where you speak the word of God to people in the context of relationship, because that's always how you see it. You put the word of God in their hands and then you guide them. All right, I'm gonna give you a really simple idea to help you with this, all right? Listen, make a list of verses for this person, verses that are very significant to you. 
right? And then give them to them and say, here's a list. What I want you to do is read two to three of them a day. And I want you to write out in one sentence what you think it means and then write out what it means to you. What does it mean and then what is it saying to you? And then in another week, we'll come back together and we'll discuss some of these verses. Get them in the presence of the word of God and let God's word do the work. Just get them in the Bible. Sometimes you carry this like weight of like, oh, I've got to like, I got to be ready to answer all the questions. You don't. You're listening to Summit Life with Pastor J.D. Greer. To find out more about this ministry and our vision, visit jdgreer.com. We'll return to our teaching in just a moment, but I wanted to quickly tell you about our brand new featured resource that actually is available for the first time today. You know, one of those foundational things that we can do to carry our faith with us is knowing the Word of God. So once again, we created a pack of 52 scripture memory cards for you to use this next year. They're perfect to use for quick memorization or to have around the house for daily encouragement. The cards are small in size, for quick reference, putting on the fridge or even sticking in your wallet. You could even give them away in greeting cards to encourage others. And we like to start off every January by reminding us all of the importance of hiding God's word in our hearts. And this set comes with your generous gift to the ministry right now. Give us a call at 866-335-5220. Or you can always partner with us by visiting jdcreer.com. Now let's get back to our teaching for the day here on Summit Life. Once again, here's Pastor J.D. The second thing that you will do is you will pray like crazy. Pray like crazy. If salvation belongs to God, then prayer, asking God to do what only God can do, should be our greatest resource. Now here, Jonah's not an example for us. Again, Jonah wasn't praying for the Ninevites' salvation. In fact, he was praying against it. Jonah wasn't praying for the Ninevites, get this, but Jesus was. You know how I know that? Because when Jesus was on the cross, what'd he say over and over again? Father, forgive them. By the way, John Stott says that in Greek, it's written in the clause, which means that he repeated that. It wasn't one, he didn't say, Father, forgive them one time. He prayed it over and over and over and over again. Jesus prayed for the Ninevites. And what you essentially do when you pray is you join your faith to Jesus's faith. That's pretty good company to be in. I've described it before like a laser. You know how a laser works? So you got like a light wave, and then you amplify it by adding another light wave. Look at Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them, as one wave. And then what God is allowing you to do is join your wave to his, and that becomes a laser of God's power into that person's life. Father, forgive them. You are joining that God, let them see. God, do what only you can do. By the way, you want motivation to pray? You realize that when Jesus prayed that, Father, forgive them, he was praying for you. Because he prayed for you, that gives you the ability to pray for the Ninevites. Jonah didn't think he needed prayer. Jonah thought he was the prophet. If he'd have understood that Jesus had prayed for him, that would have created in his heart the love to pray for Nineveh. So here's a question. How many people are you praying for right now to be brought into the kingdom? Or here's a question. Ready for this? If God answered right now in one fell swoop, if God answered every prayer you prayed last week, would anybody new be in the kingdom? If like in one fell swoop, God said, I'm gonna answer every single prayer you prayed last week, would anybody new be in the kingdom? I say this gently, but if not, shame on you. What, what are you doing? Who, are you, what, who is Jesus to you? What is the gospel to you? If you understand what Jesus has saved you from, then you understand that what he saved you to is for you to preach to people that were in the same way that you were. When I say preach, I don't mean what I do. I mean just sharing God's word to them. My whole point is that God is all at work around you. God wanted to, he could save the Ninevites. The obstacle was Jonah. 
God wants to, and he can save people all around you. For many of us, the obstacle is us. We just never shown up and given the word of God to them. Now, before I close this really quickly, I wanna deal with one objection because some of you have the opposite problem of what I'm saying. You're like, well, I've been giving this person the word and they're totally closed. Nobody listens to me. What does that mean? All right, all right, follow me, ready? When you have a time of fruitlessness in your life, you can have one of three reactions to it. One of them is bad, two of them are good. All right, one of them is self-doubt. You're sharing with somebody, they're not listening, and so what do you conclude? There's something wrong with me. My Christianity, something God's mightily displeased with in me, and that's why I can't be fruitful. You ever felt that? I have. There are times I've been struggling and I've thought, I'm spiritually sterile. Of course, the gospel is that there was something wrong with you, and you are spiritually sterile, and God was mightily displeased with you, and God gives his grace to those who acknowledge that. So of course you're spiritually impotent. That's gospel 101. And when you get gospel 101, you can understand that the gospel is for those who embrace that God gives them his power, not as something they earn, but as a gift. In fact, only those who are spiritually sterile will have access to the mighty power of God. Those who believe they have internal spiritual power will end up impotent. So that's one, self-doubt. Here's the second thing it could lead you to. It can lead you to make more demands on God's grace. That's good. Now, I use that word demands on purpose, even though I know it's gonna make some of you uncomfortable. Because you're like, well, we shouldn't be demanding anything of God. Let me tell you this, some of the greatest movements of God came from a bold presumption on God's grace. Somebody saying, God, don't you care? I've told you before, Charles Spurgeon had this way of praying that kind of creeped people out around him. Because he'd be like, God, don't you care about this situation? I care about it. I know you care about it because you're a love more loving father than I am. How can you watch this and not do something? That's presumption. And that's the kind of thing Jesus actually really likes. He said the kingdom of heaven is taken by force, by people who understand these things and ask for them. Think of Jacob wrestling with God. Remember this, Genesis, where he holds God down, the angel down, and says, I won't let you go until you bless me? That sounds sacrilegious, but God was pleased with it. Moses, I won't go up unless you go with me. Luke chapter eight, verse 44, the woman who comes up and presumptuously grabs a hold of Jesus' garment, even though she was ceremonially unclean, because she said, I know how loving and compassionate he is. The woman who you know, goes up to Jesus and says, hey, come heal my daughter. He's like, I can't, you're a Gentile, and it's not right to take the bread that was intended for children and give it to dogs. <laughs> I was like, dang, did she just call her a dog? You know, I've heard red scholars, by the way, who are like, oh, no, no, what he meant there was little puppy. Okay, yeah, but he still called her a dog, even if it's a little cute little dog, it's still a dog. But she didn't, she didn't blame because she says, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat what falls off the master's table. In other words, there's so much grace on your table, Jesus, that there's enough even for a dog like me. You understand the depth of God's grace and you make demands on it. Luke, 8, uh, Luke 18, Jesus compares prayer to an annoying widow who won't let the judge go until he gives her what she wants. These are the metaphors Jesus chose for prayer. I read this story this week. You know who Tony Evans is? African-American pastor out in Dallas, um, fantastic speaker, was doing a, um, this big rally, uh, or big evangelistic meeting, whatever, down in South Carolina. It was open air, several thousand people there. Um, right before they're getting ready to start, these huge rain clouds come billowing in. And it's raining, and the people on the news are like, it's 100% chance of rain. So all the pastors that are part of this get together, and they all start praying. And Tony Evans said, everybody was praying these nice little kind of polite, you know, God, we want your will, and God, you can do what you want, kind of, you know, prayers and everything. And it was all, you know, theologically correct, and they're going around. He said, this woman, he gives her the name Linda. I don't know if that's a real name, but he said, he said, I'll never forget. She stood up, and she said this, right, with all these pastors in the room. She says, Lord, 
Thousands have gathered to hear the good news about your son. It would be a shame on your name for us to have all these unbelievers go without the gospel when you control the weather after all and you don't stop it. In the name of Jesus Christ, address this storm. And that ended the prayer meeting. <laughs> Everybody goes out, takes their places under the dark sky. Everybody's on stage, all these pastors, all these umbrellas start opening up because the, 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 the rain's coming. This woman, Linda, sat on the stage and she's like, uh-uh, I'm not putting up an umbrella. He said it was one of the most bizarre things he'd ever seen. He said this huge storm comes right over to where they are. He said it literally split in two and went to the right and to the left. He said not a drop of rain touched anybody. He said, now why was it that she prayed like that? Why was it that God heard her prayer? See, it's because there was a shameless boldness in it. Prayer, you see, is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is laying hold of God's willingness. The floods of salvation come when you presume upon the compassion of God, when you hold up God's compassion in front of his face. That's what we're supposed to do. Jesus, I know how compassionate you are. Intervene. Here's the last thing, little letter C. Third, third, this is also a good response. Wait upon God. Some of the greatest movements of God happened after somebody labored for years with no fruit. Adoniram Judson, for whom I named my son, first American missionary, was in Burma for seven years. Now Myanmar, but that, that's how it was called Burma, for seven years. Not a single convert. He said, but after he labored, he kept holding this up in front of God's face and said, God, you care about these people. Conversions, he said, came like rain. So don't give up. There's nothing wrong with you the gospel doesn't address. In Christ, there's nothing you could do to make God love you anymore, nothing he could do could do that would earn his power anymore. The gospel is that God cares for people. Presume upon that and ask God because salvation belongs to God and faith comes only by hearing. Y'all, the bottom line is this. Jonah's what stood in the way of Nineveh's forgiveness. Their sin was not the obstacle. Jonah's failure to get them what the word of God was. I told you Jonah 2.8 was a key verse in Jonah. You remember this? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. From Jonah 3, what you see is those who cling to worthless idols forfeit not only their own grace, they also forfeit grace that could have been other people's too. Who is there in your life that is not experiencing the grace of God not because God's not willing or able, but because you have never simply spoken the word of God to them. You've never put them in a place for God to be able to take five words and open their hearts. Salvation belongs to God. Faith comes only by hearing. That's where you are. If you understand that, you should pray like crazy. Get the word of God. Don't give up on the one that you're praying for. Continue to ask God for their salvation and give the word of God to them. A challenging teaching today from Pastor J.D. Greer on Summit Life. Well, J.D., here we are in the new year, one whole weekend. And one of the things I love about Summit Life is that we are so committed to the Word of God to the point where we emphasize memorizing it each year. Why do we always start here each January? Molly, in short, because I can't think of anything that will better shape your year than putting the Word of God so deeply inside of you that it just, mm -hmm. it comes out in how you talk and how you think. Yes. It is perfect to start the year with that. Of all the resolutions you can make, this is probably, I think, the most significant one. Right. You know, one thing I've learned about following Jesus over the last, um, really, three decades of following Him 
is that you follow Jesus one step at a time, one act of faith at a time, one act of obedience at the time. And each of those steps of faith and obedience are shaped by and guided by and empowered by the word of God. And so what we do, and we've done this at the beginning of, of every year for the last several years, is we put together 52 memory verse cards. Um, memorizing one verse a week, is that's not hard. <laughs> Anybody can do that. But what if next year this time, you knew 52 verses that you did not know before. Sure. Can you imagine how that's going to shape your faith and your hope and your prayers and yeah, yeah. what you do in difficult situations or temptations? So don't hesitate. If you love the Word of God and you want to see it make a difference in your life, head on over to jdgreer.com and reserve your set of Summit Life Memory Verse Cards today. Let's start 2024 with God's Word etched into our hearts, ready to face whatever comes our way. Thank you, J.D. Ask for your set of scripture memory cards by calling 866-335-5220. That's 866-335-5220. Or request them when you give online or when you make your first gift as a monthly gospel partner at jdgreer.com. I'm Molly Vitovich, inviting you to join us tomorrow when Pastor JD continues this study in the book of Jonah, calling us to a whole new kind of obedience. That's Tuesday on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Today's program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.